Welcome to Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, we will be revisiting the topic of artificial intelligence in pharmacy practice. I am joined by Dr. Andrew Strahl, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice and Vice Chair of Pharmacy Practice at Cedarville University. We'll also be joined by Luke O'Brien, Student Innovator in the Center for Pharmacy Innovation here at Cedarville University. Thanks again for joining us here on Disrupt. Today, we plan to revisit a topic, one that is affecting everybody, and that's the topic of artificial intelligence. Specifically, we'll talk about its impact on pharmacy. Um, And some of you may be thinking, well, didn't they already talk about this topic? If you've been listening for a while, you would be correct. We did, but it was two years ago. And many of you know the landscape of artificial intelligence and its reach has done nothing but exponentially grow since that time. So we thought it would be great to build on episode nine, which I would encourage you guys to go back and listen to, by talking a little bit more about this topic. So um, it feels like ChatGPT, other AI solutions are popping up on what feels like a really a, a daily basis. So with that, it's a pleasure to have Dr. Andrew Straw back on the podcast with us. He's been on um, for a couple of other episodes. Uh, welcome back, Andrew. Thanks. Excited to get started. And we're also joined today by Luke O'Brien, who's one of our amazing student innovators here in the Center for Pharmacy Innovation. He's also one of the masterminds behind this whole podcast. So I'm excited to have Luke on the podcast with us today as well. Thanks for being here. Of course. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Dr. Cole. You bet. All right. So let's kick us off uh, by just simply asking both of you, why are you guys interested in this topic? I feel like every time I see you, we're talking AI, but why, why interested in it? I think I'm interested from a couple standpoints. One is from, as an educator, uh, how is this going to help students? Uh, How could it hurt students? Um, But then also rolling that in to a faculty perspective, how can I use this in the classroom? And then even in my practice site, how can I help patients to have better care, not only because of the way I'm approaching their care, but maybe tools that are making it the way to the consumer sector and that they might be using. Great. What, what about you, Luke? So I've always loved technology and I've al- I was always a sci-fi fan growing up and like the whole having this um, computer assistant that's less of a tool, but more of like a partner or almost a sounding board to kind of like work through different scenarios. Like that's something that's seemed really attractive about like specifically the chat GPT-esque generative AI language models that you converse with and everything. That's what's kept me interested in this topic. Okay. So again, we know you're interested. I know you've both used AI for different things too. So tell me some examples of how you have been interacting with some of these new solutions, whether it's chat GPT or or other things in your own daily lives, or maybe your education or work. Yeah, I'll go first. I have used quite a few different things. And it's something I was talking with Dr. Bates, maybe an early adopter uh, (laughs) in that I like to Try, try stuff and sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. So I've used quite a few different AI platforms, a lot of language processing and seeing what it can produce, not only from a faculty standpoint for course content, but I've also been using it to generate a lot of different um, analogies and thoughts of how I might explain things to patients. So 
oftentimes you can give it a role and ask it uh, to explain a tough concept. And it comes across with seemingly creative ideas of how you might explain a concept to a patient. Uh, I've also used maybe some other platforms that maybe people have heard of, uh, some that are AI-generated music for focus or sleep. Uh, there's two, Brain FM has been around a little bit longer, but Endel is, is another. And they say there's some research to back up the focus and sleep aspects, but just trying those out and seeing what, uh, what those were about. Um, and then also just some other platforms that incorporate AI into them, such as grammar platforms, summarizing platforms, uh, where they are uh, ad adapting those models right into the platform. Uh, always trying those out and just seeing what they're about. I have been using AI for a bit now. It's been several months. So ChatGPT came out in November of last year. It feels like it's been a lot longer, but it's been around for a while. And immediately once it came out, I've been playing with it. I've done a few things with it. It's been interesting seeing just how like new features and new capabilities of the platform have seemingly exponentially evolved since it came out itself. But I've mostly used it as a student. I think I was in an infectious disease module when it first came out. So one of the first things I had it do was I was just like, hmm, uh, can you make a table of all the commonly used hepatitis B medications with columns for chemical class of the drug, um, starting dose, common side effects. And I, I just like listed off several things. And it was like, yeah, sure, let me do that. And then I just, just spit it all into a table for me. And that was when I was like, okay, I have no idea if this is accurate. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> but it's cool nonetheless. So, uh, yeah, and then, so I've, I've used it for kind of um, brainstorming study materials. I've used a little bit of AI image generation for, I was actually using it to supplement materials for a project that I was working on recently where I couldn't find background images that were exactly of the sort that I was looking for. So I was like, hey, can you give me a picture of such and such interacting with such and such and just in a certain style and it was able to give me things that were um, really useful for my project and everything. I also have been working on trying to find ways to focus better as kind of a personal assistant and also working through this acquired um, focus issue that a lot of people who've like grown up around the internet and around social media have been working through and that's a whole other topic. But I've been using text-to-speech models for helping focus and work through homework assignments and things like that. And text-to-speech, obviously, it's been around for like 20, 30 years now like as a concept. But watching the leaps and bounds that it's made in like usefulness and sound quality and believability over the past few years with the introduction of AI voice models and that kind of thing has been really interesting and very helpful to me. Oh, that's great. Uh, I've interacted with it a little bit. Uh, I wasn't quite as early an adopter as the two of you, but I'm kind of in, in the middle there. Um, I've had it write um, OSCE cases. For those of you who haven't heard of an OSCE, it's an objective structured clinical examination. It's kind of like a practical exam that we have our pharmacy students take. 
it wrote some pretty good cases. Now, there, there were some things that it, we needed to direct it on. For example, it was a pediatric case, and it told us to use uh, 0.875 uh, of a tablet, right? I'm not sure how we cut 0.875 of, uh, of a tablet, but um, it, you can tell it, hey, round to the nearest tablet size that's available in the United States, and then it'll go and correct itself. So even as an educator, I've seen it um, give some pretty, pretty neat stuff. So there's definitely some potential there. Um, so what do you guys think about real-world examples of AI applications related specifically to pharmacists? Have you guys seen where it's already made an impact in pharmacy settings? I think there's a couple that I have I found. Some are a little bit still more theory, um, but there's a few that actually have been implemented. Uh, one is for concept of kind of 24-7 support for your, for your patient. Uh, this would be kind of like where your pharmacy has a lot of pharmacies have apps already. Uh, and if you're after hours, you know, if a patient has an option to go on WebMD or Google, or they could chat with your pharmacy's AI, um, you could actually maybe have a little bit better control of what information that they're, they're getting and what's pertinent to your particular pharmacy. Um, and that could be a really helpful application as well as in the counseling piece, like I was mentioning earlier, uh, using AI to actually help counsel patients uh, in a way that would make sense to whatever their health literacy level is uh, would be uh, another great way to do that. I've also uh, seen some models, uh, kind of a clinical decision support system. And I found some studies that have actually been using those types of systems for a while but with this, some AI integrated into that, uh, they're able, able to take a, a larger amount of data and make predictions about the patient. Um, so there was one particular uh, software platform I found that they could make predictions about a patient's kidney function uh, without labs, which helped to get some earlier intervention uh, and get people to dialysis quicker. Um, and so it was kind of using that predictive quality uh, to improve the care by getting them earlier intervention. Uh, and they could do that both by some of the existing labs, but then also looking at the whole collective chart to see uh, what were their at-risk conditions, kind of put that all together. Um, I think there's some concerns that come with that as well, but the idea is that's what AI is good at, using large and large and big amounts of information to be able to analyze that. Um, so those applications make a lot of sense and it's kind of interesting to see uh, for that particular platform how they were able to change patient care. I think those are some great examples of how AI can be used to optimize things like medication management or adherence, even simple things like providing consumer-based information when they might need it right at um, the time of their, their questions. So that's excellent. Luke, do you have anything that you would add on places where you've seen AI used in pharmacy practice up to this point? So I haven't really seen it used in pharmacy practice, but I, I see a lot of potential for ways that it can be used. Um, one of the things like Dr. Straw mentioned, um, data analysis and making sense of these patterns in huge portions of data, being able to see patterns where there aren't really any that, that humans can recognize, I think is a huge opportunity. Another thing, like obviously, um, 
AI is still kind of limited in the quality of its output sometimes. So it's going to be a long time before it's reliable for a lot of tasks. But one of the things I think it's ready for right now is helping people to communicate with machines better. So in ChatGPT, they've got um, plugins right now, which are basically allowing ChatGPT to take an input or take a prompt from a user and then interface directly with this with software programs. And these programs that they're talking to are, in most cases, programs that um, people can already use if they want to. There's like Instacart or um, I, I forget what it was. Um, there are some travel apps. Uh, kayak. Yeah, uh, yeah, kayak automation tools um, and stuff like that. And... I think like, yeah, you could go to these tools and you could just use them through their graphical interfaces or things like that. But um, being able to understand what people want and then um, performing actions in software for them, I think is really helpful. I think um, you, you mentioned possible applications to medication adherence. I've been uh, studying up on medication adherence a little bit recently for, <laughs> you have. for another project. And one of the barriers in things like medication adherence applications has been interface so far. So when you talk about interactions with medication adherence apps and, and things, people have very complex medications, very complex regimens, very hard to spell. Um, sometimes it could be, it could be um, take one every day, accept an extra, another tablet in the morning on Monday and in the morning on Wednesday so total uh, seven tablets a week or something because take weekends off for some reason. And so these kinds of conversations can be very difficult to have through um, applications if you're just typing through an app or if you don't have a very good understanding of uh, your regimen and what it is. So I guess that's the biggest thing that I've seen that I've had off the top of my head is just trying to translate a user's needs into something that uh, programs can understand better. Yeah, that's good. So one of my other interactions with ChatGPT, and uh, Luke, I think you were actually in the classroom when we did this. Um, so I teach a pediatric selective here, and we had a session that was all focused on answering complex drug information questions when kids are involved. And so our students had five to six pretty complex cases they had to try to work through and answer on their own. Um, a few of our intrepid students, including I think Luke, said, hey, uh, can we try ChatGPT to see what it tells us for these cases? And I said, as long as you do the work and you're evaluating their answer, sure, let's do it. Um, and uh, looking back, the AI only got a 40% on the quiz, whereas my students did much better than that, uh, thankfully. But I think what, the reason I tell that story is it illustrates that there are some limitations with this type of technology. Some of those limitations are related to how far back it has information. So when is it pulling from? Is it information that's two months old or is it a year old? So, Andrew, could you tell us a little bit more about how ChatGPT 3.5 versus 4.0, which seem to be the most commonly used platforms right now, um, when are they pulling information from? And is that a limitation to how it's used? Yeah, I think it is a limitation, but that is where the 4.0 uh, and the use of a plugin can be pretty helpful just because that 
opens up the opportunity to connect to the internet. Um, so by nature, uh, 3.5 and 4 um, on their own are not connected to the internet. So they are trained on data up through uh, 2021, 2022. Uh, Luke, do you actually know what the dates are for the... September 2021, because anytime you ask it for right. something relevant to um, any kind of date or time period, it'll say, well, I don't know, something might have changed since September 2021. <laughs> but yeah. Right, that's where the, the uh, a, a browser plugin of some kind could be helpful. And that is one big advantage, I would say, to using um, Bing chat in that it is using the 4.0 model, uh, but connected to the internet. So you'll notice that if you use Bing chat, uh, it will start searching pages for you. And it's a little bit different in that when it gives you an answer, it will actually cite all of the references. Uh, and it's really nice if it, uh, for example, I was asking it questions about uh, AI use in pharmacy and it referenced the blog from two years ago and gave me the direct URL so I could open that to that blog page directly. So if I'm doing research and I'm looking uh, to find data, uh, having that ability to connect quickly to those websites or articles or whatever, PubMed, whatever it might be, is really, really handy. Uh, when I was preparing for the faculty development session, I found a site that lists all the AI models that are currently in uh, either in use or in process, and there was over 80 of them. So whether we have Anthropics Claude or um, Bard or Bing Chat, all these, those are just like four. <laughs> there are <laughs> yeah. models that are being developed for very specific applications where they're being trained on specific data for specific applications, but we only hear about you know, a, a fairly few number of those that are more mainstream and more open to the general public. No, that's good. I, I'm curious to get both of your takes on this. So when we look at certain pharmacy literature for us that are pharmacists, we want to make sure that the sources are also good too, right? So sometimes we have this saying that if you have garbage data in, you're going to get a whole bunch of garbage back out, right? So do you guys think there's a risk that if AI is not only taking this, this information, but also generating information on the internet, and then over time it starts to use that information that sometimes isn't as accurate that we're going to end up with this crazy worldwide web of confusion. Is that a possibility or do you think that the tools are smart enough now where that's not even going to happen in the future? I think it's certainly a possibility. And well, so anyone who's used a generative AI platform for long enough has run into the idea of this like AI hallucination yeah, yeah. where it'll just completely make stuff up. One of the ways that I've kept myself from just going crazy uh, and like jumping off the AI train is sometimes I treat uh, ChatGPT like your overly confident friend who will not admit if they don't know something. Because <laughs> okay, if you ask great. if you ask it something, it will in most cases it will give you an answer, and it will always it will almost always present its answer confidently and as fact. But if it doesn't know or if it made a mistake in logic, then it will um, it will present it as much as fact. So um, I think some of that has to do with sometimes it'll just hallucinate and completely make something up. 
otherwise, when you're dealing with things specifically like GPT-4 and like the, the most popular models, the data they are trained on is just scraped from all over the internet. And um, obviously the like ethical considerations of training the AI on a bunch of data, which some is meant to be public available, but not necessarily licensed for reuse or commercial purposes. Like that's a whole nother conversation, but um, reliability of the data being um, assimilated in the first place is a huge consideration because um, if, yeah, if it could see um, maybe articles from PubMed or articles from someplace that aren't um, locked behind a paywall so the bot could actually reach it in the first place, um, that might have reliable data, but it also might have been from a study that in context um, didn't have everything right. It might have referenced an entrance or an entry on like some forum on the random side of the internet where you have a random person who's making a confident assertion about, about some sort of medication and sometime, and it just has all that information just kind of scooped up into this big ball. So it might be, it might not be hallucinating. It just might be referencing something that wasn't reliable in the first place. So that's where I think um, the dedicated, models trained on specific data are going to be important. I know um, Google specifically has been working on MedPalm 2 is uh, one of the things that they've been talking about. I, I believe it's in testing with um, some of their partners now, but the idea is like training a model specifically around, around reliable medical data, hopefully one that's less likely to hallucinate and admit when it can't make a complete um, assumption. So, yeah. I, I love that analogy of your overconfident friend. And it just helps us to have a healthy skepticism of it. Also embracing it as something that can be incredibly helpful, right? For us, but at the same time, also using our own judgment to filter that through our own truth filters, the things that we've learned and know and believe, and then helping us to understand it rightly. So that's, that's super helpful. Um, I, I want to turn us back a little bit to its use in pharmacy education for a few minutes because we do have some student listeners on here. So um, uh, the question is, how can pharmacy students leverage AI-driven tools to enhance their learning experience and stay updated with the latest advancements in the field? What do you guys think? I think from some of my own use as a lifelong learner is that it's really helpful to help me brainstorm ideas uh, but also um, to help me uh, maybe improve my my own my own writing, um, seeing uh, put that I put my own uh, information uh, into there and and seeing how it can be made better and sometimes getting some great suggestions of how I can make some some edits. Uh, but then also I found some really great prompts that really can kind of act as a personal tutor. Uh, that allow me to plug in any topic that I want to learn about. And it's kind of like having someone sitting there. Uh, Luke, to go on what you said earlier, it's like Jarvis. Mm -hmm. I'm asking uh, right. Jarvis, like, can you teach me about this topic? And give me an analogy, a, a, a mind model, the top three things I need to know about it, and then let's start a conversation. Sometimes that includes practice problems. 
or it may be a, um, a, a word problem, or maybe it's not even a, you know, a, a math generated thing. Maybe it's just, uh, a, an ethics thing, or it, it can walk you through situations and it takes your response and kind of go like very conversational, which is, uh, just a very unique experience, but it helps me to brainstorm and think through um, a lot of different problems or ideas and whether or not I maybe want to move forward with those. Luke, you had already talked about some examples of what you've done. What are some other ways in which you think students can leverage this to help their learning? Yeah, um, I use it. um, One of the things I do is I ask it dumb questions like questions that I would be too embarrassed to necessarily email my professor or even post in the group chat <laughs> of my yep. fellow students because I know I'm just going to get get teased for it. But if it's um, something it's like, okay, I really don't remember the difference between these lab values or um, I, would, I would very much, I, I just need someone to explain it to me like I'm five. And that's obviously, that's one of the most popular prompts uh, for ChatGPT is, hey, explain string theory to me like I'm five. <laughs> Depending on how distracted I am, I'll also be like, hey, can you explain um, the difference between overlap of um, sensitivity for different um, beta-lactam antibiotics, but do it as if you are the cookie monster please explain this to me. And then it'll just, it'll just roll with it. It'll just do, it'll just do whatever. So, um, asking dumb questions, having an explained topics and then, um, organizing information, trying to get summaries, um, out of information for key insights, which is one of the things that's gotten a lot easier as the service has evolved. And you've gotten things like plugins where, um, you'll have like a, a talk with PDF plugin, where you will upload a PDF document and then make it easier to search um, and kind of communicate with it through ChatGPT. Back when all you had was text entry, that was a whole lot harder um, because as a student, sometimes it doesn't matter what the AI model thinks about a certain topic. Like at the end of the day, I don't really care what it thinks about um, certain antibiotics, what I care about is what my reading says about antibiotics. And if it disagrees with my assigned reading, then I'm not going to get the right takeaway and, and, um, I might have some issues. So there was one time really early on, I was interested. So I, I was interested in its capabilities of doing that. So I just, it, it didn't know what I was talking about. So I was pasting parts of my reading into the prompt. So I was basically going, hey, I'm about to give you a lot of words and I want you to read them and um, answer questions about it later. And it's like, all right, go ahead. So I was just pasting 2,000 characters at a time, uh, my entire reading assignment. And it was a reading assignment from like a couple days ago, but I was pasted 2,000 words at a time, a whole reading assignment into ChatGPT. So it had that all stored within its context and I was like, all right, now, can you um, generate a table of all the medications that are listed in this, in this reading and provide key takeaways and uh, facts that 
seem of importance. I gave it something kind of vague and it did a much better job of whether I would, like if the reading was about beta-lactam antibiotics, I don't remember what exactly it was. It gave me much more helpful information when it had the proper context than if I had just asked it, hey, based off of your giant brain, what can you tell me about beta-lactam antibiotics? Um, it, it was a huge difference, and that's something that's gotten easier now that you can put PDFs directly into ChatGPT or use a plugin or that kind of thing. Yeah, that gets to a term I've heard called prompt engineering. I guess this is a thing now, right, where the better you are at giving it the appropriate prompts, the better the information. That's essentially what you were doing, right? You were doing prompt engineering, just giving it the right information and context to give you what you actually found helpful from it. So that's a really cool example of that. And there's a plugin that it's called Prompt Perfect that does that for you. So if you're not good at prompt engineering, you can use an AI plugin to make your prompt better. Wow. Can do a lot. Okay. Well, I want to turn us now, and we've already gone there a little bit, to the ethical considerations. So I'm curious to know if you see any challenges arising when integrating AI into pharmacy practice or education specifically? What are some of those concerns that we need to be thinking through to determine whether we fully embrace AI there, we use it for particular purposes, or maybe choose not to use it at all? What do you guys think? Yeah, so I, I think there are definitely some, uh, some considerations. One of the big ones that I kind of talked about a bit about before is where the data is coming from. Because, I mean, all the time when I'm working on working on assignments, I will bump into paywalls trying to get access to studies and published information that is published. But it's like, all right, well, I mean, through Cedarville, like as a student, I do have access to several to several high quality um, journals, and like there are a lot of places where I can like try to log in with my credentials and I can maybe get access to the article, but I still run into a lot of boundaries there. Um, but even if um, ChatGPT or um, some other large language model was able to train on some of this data behind the pay paywall, if it was able to get in there, all of a sudden I'm getting this data that I certainly didn't pay for, but they they would like to charge me anyway. So if I am able to get to it through an outside source, then there are problems there. And that's something that ChatGPT has already uh, encountered a lot. Um, a function of the ChatGPT Plus service was an integrated web browsing feature where you would ask it something and then it would specifically go out of it. It would go search the internet for it. One of the reasons it was deactivated was because it was giving, it was basically it, like the feature was temporarily removed um, pending some, some optimization of some kind. But the problem was it was finding information that was, that was like in paywalls or not necessarily in paywalls, but it was uh, bypassing the value of a click because um, the reason that these websites offer all this free information is because what they want to do is they want to feed you ads. They want your engagement. But all of a sudden, if I just got everything I needed from seven different pages on this one website by asking one prompt to ChatGPT and it just did all that searching for me, 
um, I kind of renegotiated the deal. I was like, Hey, how about, I don't see any of your ads, but I still get all the information anyways. Yep. So, so that's obviously of some concern. And then, um, just briefly, I think one of the secondary concerns is like information that you put into it in the healthcare world. We have to be very careful about where the data is going. I think it was, um, outside of healthcare, but I think, uh, Samsung had some, had some issues where some employees had like used internal documentation for a project that they had consulted chat GPT and somehow that information, that information got out. Um, so we can't necessarily be throwing HIPAA protected information into a large language model. Uh, not right now. I know with the dedication of either, um, dedicated large language models for this purpose, or even things like, uh, I know I just got an email from Microsoft the other day um, offering ChatGPT as a like as a whole because um, Microsoft is has I'm not sure if it's quite a controlling share, but they own a giant amount of um, OpenAI, so they offer through Azure Cloud Services or Azure, however it's, it's pronounced. Um, they offer a service that is chat GPT, but like using all the same models of GPT four, but keeping all of your inputs self-contained, um, to your services that you already pay for through them. So, um, it could be, so as long as that information is stored in a HIPAA compliant fashion, we might be able to see ways where we can use previously available AI tools in more sensitive environments. Yeah, you've done a great job identifying some of the financial legal implications, um, as well as thinking through privacy, right? So Andrew, what are your thoughts about the idea of plagiarism? I think that has implications not only in pharmacy education, but also in pharmacy research. So what are your thoughts about the ethical side of, of the use of these types of platforms for research and for generating things in the academic world? Yeah, it's a really good question in that when you use uh, ChatGPT or whatever pro platform that you might have, at what point is it no longer your own work? Um, so I talked about earlier, like writing a paragraph and having it help me rephrase and uh, improve the fluency. Um, what At what point, uh, if, if I were to work on that, is... Is it no longer my work or at what point, you know, is, is chat GPT even something that I can cite? Um, it's not a, it's not a person. It's, it's, uh, not a book or an article. So how, how does that even work? Um, I'm not sure. So we've talked a lot about, you know, how do we approach this with students and what should the expectation be? Um, obviously we still want things to be the own work of, of students. Um, and I would, think that they expect me, if I'm coming in the class, that I'm presenting things that are my work as well. Um, so I think we've, that is still the standard, uh, that we are presenting things as our own work, but we have to really uh, consider what does that actually mean and how do these other tools play into that? I mean, we're already using spell check and grammar checkers, and you know, I don't have a problem with those. I think those are, are great. I use them all the time. Uh, autocorrect and Gmail 
make suggestions for my emails all the time to help me finish my sentences. Um, and that seems okay, but this kind of then takes it to the, to the next level. Um, so I think really having clear conversations with students and letting them know, like me, so me personally, I am open to using some of these tools, uh, but it still has to be your own work. Um, just like in the past, I could pay someone somewhere on the internet to write my essay. Uh, that was wrong. Uh, I think it's also wrong that I am having ChatGPT write my essay as well. So I don't, I think there's a lot of similarities there. The spirit of that is still the same. It's just now there's a different tool. It looks different. It might feel a little bit different. Um, maybe some new implications, but the, the actual end goal is still the same and that we want students to learn by working through and thinking about this material critically so that they can actually generate something that is of their own work. Yeah, that's good. So I'm curious, uh, what challenges do you two think might arise when integrating AI into pharmacy practice? And how can these challenges be addressed to ensure a seamless transition? So maybe we can go with, we talked about privacy, right? And Luke's already given us a few thoughts there. Um, what are some of those other challenges that you guys see and how do we overcome them? I can go on that. There's an article that I have uh, discovered. It's from June 20 of this year. Uh, it's from, it was the first issue and of the first volume of a, a journal called Intelligent Pharmacy. Mm, okay. And they had a really great uh, little diagram here, and they talked about some ethical and ethical limitations, some of the possible advantages. So this was kind of forward thinking. They also talked about both immediate repercussions we might see, but then also uh, long-term repercussions. So I liked uh, the ones that they had here, immediate repercussions, you kind of see this already as potential for over-reliance is like, we see this as like, wow, it looks so good. It sounds really good. It must always be right. Let's just use it. Never question it. Uh, over-reliance and getting us in trouble that way. Um, we talked a little bit about the privacy and security. So where is this information going, especially if it's maybe integrated into the EHR at some point? And then the bias and accuracy. So some of the things that they talked about also is helping to find um, discrepancies in the chart or maybe even doing medical reconciliation uh, and figuring out maybe some things that don't look quite right and having a human take a closer look. Uh, but we, we know that the EHR often people put wrong stuff in there, especially mm -hmm. in the yeah. med profile. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just wrong. Uh, and so there could be some bias and accuracy issues. Uh, Long term, you know, the hope is that we see improved patient outcomes. I think that's the whole goal of using this. Um, and so it's figuring out how do we keep an open mind to these are the problems that we're likely going to encounter. How can we handle those well so that we do reach some of these long term outcomes that are very positive? Because I do think that there is a great potential for that. Um, but with the speed that it is moving, it's really hard to think carefully because it seems like, okay, well, we could decide what we're going to do in regards to privacy. But it seems like, you know, in a month from now, it's going to be different. And so I feel like that's a really difficult moving target. Yeah, definitely. Luke, do you have anything you want to add on that? I think there will be some legal barriers. I mean, obviously there are, there are some, but um, a big topic of conversation around AI in a lot of creative spheres 
but also in a lot of spheres where people aren't familiar with AI, but all they hear is um, this ruckus of, oh, it's going to take our jobs. It, like um, on a scale of one to 10, how replaceable is your job by <laughs> AI? And like all these listicles around the internet and everything. And I've been, I've thought about it because on the one hand, obviously AI hallucinates a lot, but it will get better. It, it will get very, it will get a lot more powerful as it goes. So the question is, um, how afraid should pharmacists be about their jobs being replaced by AI? Like um, in a hypothetical future where all of a sudden the AI can be um, in the basement verifying hundreds of orders for hours on end and mm -hmm. taking calls from angry people all over the hospital who can't find their meds or something like, like how, how, how replaceable are we in everything? And my first thought was, okay, but the way that the law is written, like the, the law moves very slowly in, in the healthcare world, especially, um, as I've been on rotation, I've seen things about, um, about how pharmacists are like, yeah, well, we need um, a provider to make this order, but we need a verbal. We need a verbal to change this order. Um, and under the letter of the law, an SMS message over text counts as telephonic communication. So we can actually take that as, an, as a verbal order. But depending on your interpretation, the encrypted messaging service secure chat within Epic might not count as a telephonic communication. So one of these things can count as a verbal order. One isn't. It ju it's just a matter of one has been around for so much longer that it's been, that it's been legally recognized. So um, it might be a long time before, um, even if AI is capable, it might be a long time before it can legally kind of tiptoe on the line of clinical decision-making or like clinical decision support even. And um, obviously we do kind of see automation doing that now in, in the hospital. Um, I know in, in Ohio uh, around pharmacy automation. So at our hospital, we've got the Omnicell XR2 giant robot just runs around with these suction cups, pulling meds out of drawers and everything. And what the, what the XR2 can do is it can, it has an order for a metronidazole tablet um, that it needs for a specific patient. It grabs, it grabs a unit dose tablet, it puts it in a little bin, and then a tech takes it out of the bin, puts a sticker on it saying that it's for the right patient, and then it goes. It, it just leaves and goes to the floor officially dispensed without a pharmacist having having seen it because so like the xr2 is kind of is kind of making this it's making a clinical action and there are checks and balances to that because we have to check two random doses that are dispensed from the xr2 every hour and if it makes a mistake, then all of a sudden it has to be held under higher scrutiny for a certain amount of time. And uh, like, that's the way to kind of make sure that it's not running rampant with this decision-making. So there is some level of precedent for computers performing clinical action, but it's not making AI motivated 
decisions. So I think there's a lot of just interesting ways that this could go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And while we have the moment, I'll just remind pharmacists and interns that are they're listening, remember that you shouldn't rely solely on AI at this point to make a decision that you are going to act on. If it were to be incorrect, according to the law, you are the one that's incorrect and you will be held liable. Mm-hmm. You can't say, well, chat GPT told me to do it, right? I mean, <laughs> this is accepting responsibility and accountability where we have to do that. And so um, we can use them as tools and references, just like the other references that we often will use. But at the end of the day, we're still responsible for making those clinical judgments and calls related to patient care. Um, and and that's why I, I don't see AI supplanting pharmacist roles, I see them taking away some of the in, some of the tasks that we may see as mundane at times or tedious and optimizing those so that we're able to go and actually do more clinically based things. At least that's my aspiration for what it could do. So uh, I want to kind of ask you guys the same thing. Looking ahead, if you could choose AI to do anything for you as a pharmacist that would enhance your job, let you do what you really wanted to do, what would those things be that you'd want AI to do for you? Give you a moment to dream here. I would say it's really good at automating things. And I think in pharmacy, uh, I've worked in several different settings, some without robots and some with robots. Um, And just even that simple fact, realize like how much, uh, fear there is sometimes surrounding automation, but then also in my experience, like how fantastic it was to have that resource. So if I were to think of something in my daily routine, um, it may be just some of the, I honestly, I'd say email is there things that can be automated in my email that I am looking at the most pertinent and important things at the right times, uh, can I respond in the most efficient manner? Uh, are there ways that it could handle some of those things for me uh, so that I can spend my time uh, connecting with advisees or counseling a patient or collaborating with a faculty member instead of uh, hiding in my office, you know, resetting uh, immunization certificate, you know, response or something, which is something that just happens a lot. And it's like, I, you just, there's no way around it. It's just something manual that I, that I have to do. Um, it'd be fantastic to have something like that. Yeah. What do you think, Luke? Well, it would be hard. It would hard. But, well, I haven't practiced as a pharmacist yet, so I get, I can't speak too much to, um, what I would want it to do for me. Um, as far as my intern work, I mean, I, I've mentioned that I work at a hospital um, if it could take med messages and filter out, uh, filter out the easy ones and kind of help diagnose issues because, um, a lot of times we'll have med messages for a hey, missing dose, missing dose of Lantus or something. And obviously the joke, like it wouldn't take AI for me to program a script that would automatically respond to every med message with, Hey, have you checked the fridge first? Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be, that would be kind of funny, but like if it, 
with if you were able to give it enough data, it would be interesting to see how it could respond to these kind of things. Like if it had the context to say, "Hey, actually, um, this is in your Pixis, so it shouldn't be, it shouldn't have been sent to you anyways. Check the Pixis." Or if it could say, "Hey, I see this should be in your Pixis, but your Pixis is actually out of it." I am going to send a message to the medication stock tech and um, make sure they double check that they're bringing that to your Pixis. I think um, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of parts in that position where I'm handling communications like taking falls, calls and uh, med messages where it just kind of feels like herding cats with um, there, there's like all these people who need the meds. We've got people who are taking up the meds. There's a lot of like miscommunication and um, just kind of kind of issues where pe sometimes people don't know what to expect. Sometimes it'll take a med um, two hours to arrive by courier, and people are getting a little antsy because it's due at a at a certain time. So um, if it could kind of act as a sort of air traffic control for um, the process of sending meds around a hospital, I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'm if you thinking, can you combine RFID technology? Maybe it's not on every dosage form, but on the cart that's taking it up and it knows exactly what doses are on that cart and that it'll be to the unit in one minute and can just say, yeah, it's coming. It's, it'll be there in, in one minute. Uh, it would be pretty neat that to see if AI could, could uh, marry all those technologies, if you will, to um, really help in that area. All right, so uh, just a, a couple more questions for both of you here. So for current pharmacists or students that are aspiring to work in informatics or AI-focused roles in pharmacy, what skills and knowledge do you think they should cultivate to succeed in this evolving field? I think you first have to be well-informed of like some of the basics. So as I've been learning, it's just like all these new terms. Um, so just even being able to have a conversation with somebody to learn these requires some uh, baseline level of, of knowledge. So I think there is already some like free programs out there, or even I think ASHP or APHA, they're already launching uh, some AI uh, workshops that are going to be upcoming. Those might be really great things to get involved with, uh, specific to AI, uh, because it's just going to get you exposed to a lot of those tools and to network with people that uh, are going to be within the, that realm of pharmacy as well. Yeah, that's good. Luke, I know you've been doing this yourself, and this is the field that you're interested in. So what are some things you've been doing to cultivate your own knowledge of AI and where it's going? Yeah, so um, part of my part of what I do is I just try to use it semi-regularly because what we mentioned, um, uh, garbage in, garbage out. If you give a vague prompt to ChatGPT, you're going to get a vague answer. And I've known a lot of people who have like seen the hype in the news of AI is going to steal all our jobs and everything. And then they fire up ChatGPT. They ask it like a one sentence long question or give it a prompt. They don't get a very impressive answer. It's really vague. And they're just like, oh, never mind. That wasn't nearly as hyped up. That did not meet the hype. So I feel like spending time with it understanding its strengths, understanding its limitations, understanding how you need to communicate with it in order to get something usable, 
I think that's really important. Um, I also think that being able to work better with its output is going to be helpful. And what I mean by that, so specifically, um, if you're, if you're going into some kind of IT field or, um, like I'm pretty interested in pharmacy informatics. So, um, some of the things that I ask it to output, like you might be, you might want to use it to help you build a SQL query for, um, for working in the EHR. And one of the things that, um, ChatGPT is very good at is working with code. Now, it, it, that doesn't mean all of its code that comes out is perfect. I've seen people talk about how um, my coding used to be 70% writing code and 30% debugging. Now, all of a sudden, it's 10% writing and 90% debugging. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, I have a friend who's a developer that will that doesn't have ChatGPT write his code, but what he does is he writes his own code and then he has ChatGPT document it because that's something that he never got really good at was documenting his code or it's something he could work on. And it does a very good job of reading through other people's code and writing what it does. So um, depending on the EHR, if if um, you wanted to write a, write a plugin or write some kind of script, like the, the ability to all of a sudden be scripting within your own work environment when you didn't previously have any sort of programming experience, that, that would be really helpful, something that a lot of pharmacists could use. Um, in order to make use of that, you might need some basic understanding of whatever programming languages it's going to be spitting out for you. But um, that's way more doable than learning that entire language and learning how to code in it yourself. So yeah, I guess being able to understand its output better and also what it needs for input. Yeah, excellent thoughts there. Well, as, as we wrap up, uh, at first, I have a disclosure to our listeners, and that is that I actually had ChatGPT generate the vast majority of the questions that I asked our guests today. So, uh, you know, if you're a podcaster out there, uh, this could be a really great tool to help you write better questions for your podcasts. Um, I think the uh, one last closing thought I had related to um, ChatGPT and all of these other artificial, artificial intelligence um, softwares is again, there is a, an amount of clinical judgment that we have to use, especially if you're using it in any setting related to pharmacy education and, um, and patient care. And so there's an interpretive element of this information that we've kind of landed on a couple of times. And, um, we need to be diligent learners and thinkers to be able to evaluate the information that we're getting um, from it. Yes, we can be great prompt engineers. Yes, we can interact with it in different ways to get really great information. But at the end of the day, we have to decide, am I going to act on it, right? Um, so I think that's a, a, a good reminder for us. Do you guys have any last parting comments about AI and pharmacy that you want our listeners to, to hear today? I would say if you haven't tried it yet, maybe give it a try, uh, see what you think. Uh, and just remember that it is just a tool. Um, when I first started in education, I really like technology. And I think, oh, technology means that if I use technology, then I'll be cool. And every <laughs> student will be engaged. And if you've ever been in a classroom where someone bombs technology, you know, that's definitely not true. And even if you use technology, it also can be a distraction. 
Um, so I have definitely tempered my approach. I still use technology, but have a different view. And I think that's carried over to artificial intelligence in that just because I use it doesn't mean like my class all of, it, all of a sudden going to be spectacular, but um, having very purposeful and intentional use of it and understanding it myself is really key. So if you haven't used it, maybe give it a try. And uh, kind of as Luke said, um, work with it a little bit. It might not be exactly what you think, um, but I think there's great potential. And as pharmacists, it's important that we know how we might use it in the future. Yeah. Um, talking to students out there, any pharmacy students, I would definitely recommend trying it. Whether it changes the world or not, it's going to matter. Even if AI ends up not being nearly what we thought it was, even if it's just a passing trend, it's very possible that in the next few years, while the hype is still there, we might get to a point where your ability to use AI models may differentiate you um, for certain certain positions. So definitely get involved and try it out. You never know, you won't know what it's capable of until you do. But also be, be very cautious about its output. The hallucination is real. If, if you try to use it as, a, as an excuse to learn something, and if you, if you try to, like, I, let me say this, it's good for um, repetitive work, but it, it's good for um, busy work, but not really the heavy lifting. If you try to get it to write for you on some actually complicated topic, you'll end up having issues, and it... it it won't end up being good work. Obviously, use responsibly. Use it to learn rather than to do your work for you because that way, whether AI does turn out to solve all our problems or not, you will become a better pharmacist for it and you'll just come out ahead that way. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I know we've had a few cautionary statements, but I want to end with a more opportunistic one, and that's the fact that these technologies are ripe for innovation for entrepreneurs in healthcare. If you have an idea for how uh, artificial intelligence can be leveraged to better patient care, to deliver population health, to uh, improve medication adherence, all of those things that we care about, aiming at the quadruple or now quintuple aim of healthcare, how do we solve all these complex healthcare problems? AI may just be one of the things that helps us to do that. And so lean into it, have an entrepreneurial spirit as you look to it. Imagine what could happen if AI could do certain things for us. Um, and I, I think if we have a, a cadre of pharmacists thinking in that way, not only could we improve patient health, but we may actually be able to um, sustain new pharmacist jobs and roles through it. So uh, yes, use it cautiously. Yes, use it wisely. But yes, think innovatively, get out there, try it, and let's see what it can do for us. Well, Andrew and, and Luke, I could sit here and talk about this all day. And, and behind the scenes when we're not recording, we kind of do. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Um, it's been a pleasure, Andrew. Thanks again. Thank you. Yep. And Luke, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Of course. Glad to. You have been listening to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. Thanks for listening.